0: Day I'm hustling, every 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 day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling
1: every day I'm Welcome I'm to a- the Healthcare, healthcare Hustle Podcast. Tune in each month with Nigel and Winston as they speak with leaders of color across the healthcare industry. On topics ranging from the biggest challenges facing our communities to advice for early and mid-level careers. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Courtney Brain, founder and executive director of Something Positive for Positive People, a nonprofit organization that connects people who are struggling with their herpes diagnosis, to mental health, community support, and educational resources.
0: Courtney, welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you, thank you for having me. Appreciate that introduction. Of course, man, I think people are excited to get to know you a little bit. And, you know, on that note, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Uh, A little bit. All right. So uh, I can just start out with the uh, jaw
2: dropper. Um, I was diagnosed with genital HSV2, which is short for herpes simplex virus, which most people know as genital herpes. So uh, this was eight years ago. I was actually journaling about it this morning because I was having a conversation recently with someone about uh, where I might have gotten it. And I was telling my story about When I thought I originally had symptoms and I went in for treatment and uh, the nurse on campus just gave me a look like, oh, it just looks like you've been really busy. And then eventually it went away. So Around that particular time, I was, uh, I had seen someone, and it was actually an ex that uh, tried to kill herself. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I never even had her in the mix about this. And here I am talking about like herpes and suicide and uh, all of this stuff way after my diagnosis. <laughs> and so, uh, Yeah, that was that's just like a piece of that to hold on to because it was fresh in my mind. I'll come back to it. But uh, it really just began with my diagnosis. More than anything, I was living with my grandmother at the time. I believe it was 2013 um, when I was diagnosed. And from that point, uh, I woke up with the symptoms that are flu like. So I had chills, body aches, uh, fever, and I went in the bathroom. I went to use the restroom and I looked down and, um, I heard someone describe it best as it looked kind of like the head of cauliflower, but about a quarter size. And it was on the shaft of my penis. And so, uh, I screamed (laughs) yeah. What the F word really, really loud. My grandmother, who's a nurse, uh, knocked on the door. I was like, are you okay? I was like, we need to go right now to urgent care. And so uh, my mom happened to be heading over. So she took me to urgent care right away. And before long, I saw the doctor and he just looked at it. He said it looked like herpes. He gave me uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea treatment in the event that I were exposed to either of those. I got an STI test. uh, No, he didn't do the Q-tip thing. Um, He, I believe he swabbed it and then gave me a pamphlet and sent me on my way. So at this point, I ended up, uh, I got back home and I contacted my most recent partners. Um, I emailed them or emailed. It wasn't an email. It was like Facebook messenger or text message just to ask, Hey, did you, do you have herpes? I just asked. I didn't bother telling them I had it. And everyone said no. So at that point I just kind of had this huge sigh of relief. Like, Oh, thank God I didn't give this to anyone uh because that to me would have been the most embarrassing part of it was just having passed it on to somebody and now i'm known as that dude that gave people herpes right so after that i was left really with having to deal with this on my own i did a little bit of googling and found out that uh what i had experienced at that point in time is what's called an outbreak so i went from thinking oh this is how my genitals are going to always look i'm never going to be able to touch my penis or use my penis again outside of going to the restroom like this is it uh lo and behold those magic pills that they gave me valcyclovir you take or at this point in time i took two a day, six hours apart for three days, and then it looked like nothing ever happened. And so I didn't know that. So finding out that there were ways to reduce the possibilities of having another outbreak by simply just uh, getting some movement in, and I use movement over exercise or weightlifting, running, whatever type of movement um, helps for your body, along with nutrition, nutrition, I had to make a lot of lifestyle changes. Like I was living with my grandma. She was, she was cooking or she wasn't cooking on Friday night, Saturday night. She was definitely ordering out. And I got to reap the benefits of eating like more than half of emo's pizzas and Chinese food that we ordered and uh, whatever fish place that, uh, looks like, you know, here in St. Louis, we got like Chicago fish and chicken or St. Louis fish and chicken and Miami grill, ocean grill, anything with grill at the end had fried food. We were eating that. So I had to make that change as well and stress management. So not too long after my herpes diagnosis, I made these changes. And one of those was uh, getting into yoga in order to minimize my uh, likelihood of having any outbreaks. So from there, i um, <laughs> just, I'm just doing me. I didn't think to look up any sort of communities. I didn't think to look up any dating sites for people with herpes. I was just navigating this on my own for about four ish years before I started to go, you know what, this is annoying. Like it's frustrating. I need to figure out something to do here. So, uh, I got online and I started to search for um, like dating sites for people with herpes. And that was, that is a thing now. And once I got on there, um, I began to connect with people who were in like sub communities that you would only know about if you were invited to them. So that's kind of what you're in is. And at that point in time, I was like, damn, there's this whole like underground r- world of people who are, Experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing in terms of dealing with the stigma of living with herpes. Um, and when I got there, I was very surprised at how people were saying that despite having had this community after their diagnosis, they still wanted to kill themselves. And that was actually really common, at least to me, it was. Um, Hearing it from one person is too much, to be honest, but to have seen it more times than I can count on different blogs and forums and in chat rooms and on social media posts, I was just like, dang, this is a real thing. So uh, I began to just ask people like, hey, would you be interested in sharing your experience living with your diagnosis just from the time you were diagnosed to your first disclosure and how you're doing now. And a lot of people were very receptive to that. I was actually taking a little trip down memory lane today, looking at old social media posts. And um, one of my first interviews was in the spring of 2017. So we're approaching the four year anniversary of this having been a podcast or my first interview, at least. And the first lady that I met with, she's uh, here in St. Louis. I can talk about her vaguely, but uh, her name was Amy. We met up and we met up about an hour 30 minutes from me um met up at a cute quick trip she gets in my car we're driving around it's getting dark and mind you we're complete strangers we don't know each other we're in the car the only common ground that we have is herpes so at this point in time she was maybe in her early 40s mid 40s i was 28 years old and so we find a spot i hit record And we just talked. It was really adorable. She showed up with her notes and she was going to talk through all of this stuff. And uh, you could see how her posture was in the beginning, just a little bit nervous to be speaking about this. And as we talked, you could feel if you were in the car or around the car, you could feel just this energetic shift from her, from being nervous to sad. And as she talked through her story, you could get angry with her and then um, you feel like her you know, going through the stages of uh, being courageous and speaking about it and talking more. And we laughed, we cried. And at the end of it, there was just this huge sense of, if I could describe it in the word, it would just be sigh. Like by the end of the interview, there was just this sense of, in the atmosphere, because that was the first time that she had even gotten to talk about her experience, at least in this way. Um, because when she had disclosed, she disclosed to someone, and she talked about how she just broke down crying, saying it. But to have been able to sit there and talk and speak through the entirety of the story, not only was that something that was healing for me to hear from someone who had gone through something similar, or, or for the people who were listening, but also for her and just sharing her experience and. When I got to experience that, I wondered, you know, just how much more of this can be put out into the world if people were just comfortable enough to talk openly about their status. Even behind the anonymity of a podcast platform, the only thing that I would really need to do is just build trust with them so that they trust me not to use their real name or put them on blast or anything. So um, I look up and I finish our interview. I posted it in the communities that I'm part of and just invited other people. Like, hey, if you wanna share your story, if you're at an okay, place with your diagnosis and you want to just share it for the sake of the people who aren't okay with their story or with uh, their situation, please reach out to me. Let's connect. We can do this recording. I'll make it as easy on you as I can. And I was able to do that um, almost 200 times now, but not all interviews were in person. Of course, uh, many of them were online. Um, especially throughout 2020, I think that um, that was probably one of the better things for me as a podcaster was uh, being able to nail down people who were at home and adapt to interviewing 100% virtually. Um, but yeah, all of these different experiences from people who were also at some point suicidal or attempted suicide uh, for themselves. I don't even know if you—if that's even the right way of saying that, but who've attempted suicide, removed the four themselves, um, and just hearing people go from that dark place to sometimes a point of jumping into herpes education, advocacy themselves, the sex education period, or talking about their traumas and going through their own healing processes and tapping into their support system. So all of these different things happened as a result of people just finding a safe space to either share their stories or hear the stories of others. Whew. I'm gonna pause there and if
0: y'all got any questions, uh, let me know. Otherwise I can keep on going. I was gonna say definitely. Actually, I was I was wondering if we could back it up, you know, a little further. You talked about being on campus and you're talking a lot about the St. Louis area, things you know in this region. So are you from here? And did your experience, as I believe you were an athlete in college, you talked a little bit about movement coming up with those modalities. Talk to us about your experience growing up, and maybe how that experience as an athlete was able to kind of help you out in in that transitional period.
2: Yeah. So in college, uh, I played college. I went to Southeast Missouri State University. I graduated two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. I think it was two thousand twelve. Um, but It was my, I would have been a sophomore or junior year that I had symptoms of something that was going on. I don't know what it was that was going on, but what it, it, interesting enough, what had happened at that point in time was what had appeared, uh, later on when I actually had my first, or I guess what would have been my outbreak along with the flu symptoms. So when I went to the clinic on campus, um, and the lady told me it just looked like you'd been really busy, implying that I was having a lot of sex and some type of friction burn. Which, ironically enough, I was on a drought throughout this time period. So, if anything, it was from my hand. Which I mean, I guess that's realistic. But I lived in the dorm, so I couldn't really do it that much. I had a roommate, so yeah, it was it was it was wild to me that that was what her conclusion was, but. Uh, I wasn't really sexually active. And that's the interesting thing here. Um, as an athlete, I had people around me who I could talk to about that kind of stuff. And from my experiences, other teammates who might have had any sort of SCI symptoms where uh, it would be like your pee burns or there's blood in your urine. Or, uh, yeah, these were generally symptoms to look out for. I didn't have any of that. I just had that physical thing, right? Um And after it went away, time passed, nothing. So all throughout college, high school, middle school, I'd always been active. I would always played football up until I was done playing football. So we get to the point of me graduating college. I'm done playing football. And then within about a year, year and a half was when I had my first herpes outbreak. And mind you, I mentioned that I was living with my grandmother. And at that point in time, like after being an athlete for so long, a lot of the stuff that would be like general maintenance, working out, maybe uh, running, those were punishments for me. So once I was done, I was done. Like I'd gained a ton of weight. I think I got up to almost 270 pounds um, and my playing weight was maybe 230, 240. I'm living with my grandmother who's frying up all kinds of food or ordering takeout um, and I'm unaware of stress management tools and that's another really big important piece here is that mental health was not something on my mind mental health to me looked like you're a crazy person or you're not a crazy person and when you get into the crazy person territory there's just that's where all of mental illness and language applies me no not me i'm a perfectly sane person i know when something's wrong with me and i'm able to take care of it when i am uh, that was my thinking at that point in time, just so I can clarify that. But <clears throat> I think that me not continuing to take care of my body or be active was something that may have lowered my immune system enough to where an outbreak could have occurred. Because if I did, in fact, have this for a while, then maybe my body was able to just keep it at bay and manage it. Um, if I would have gotten some sort of a test done, a test for antibodies, then perhaps. I would have tested positive or maybe I wouldn't have uh, without having had an outbreak at all. So in terms of how sports played a role in it, it just was something that kept me
1: active and may have kept uh, my outbreaks at bay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that piece. I definitely, one thing that I find interesting, you know, is that you mentioned, you know, for you, it it sounds like you definitely kind of, you had a support system in terms of at least, You know folks initially being there when you first got your diagnosis um but you know given from the Lou, we're all black here but you know we know that there's a lot of stigma intersectional stigma all over the place between mental health sexual reproductive health so i'm curious you know to know how was it we this is you know no one's prepared for this but did you have these kind of conversations growing up i mean how was all of this
2: Man, my mama and my granddad and my dad, probably grandparents in general, all told me, don't get nobody pregnant. That was the main priority. And what I learned in my sex education was that if someone has an STI, STD at the time, um, you would know because there would be a smell, some type of odor. There would be some discharge. It'd be leaking green stuff or... It would be so painful that they wouldn't even want to have sex anyway. So this was my legitimate thought process behind STIs was that all right if somebody has one they won't want to have sex and all I got to do is wear this condom not to prevent myself from getting STIs but to prevent myself from getting somebody pregnant and that was what my household teaching was when I was growing up and then as far as sex ed goes the the language that was used uh, I remember it just being exclusively about not having sex it was to discourage us from having sex it didn't include things that i now know were important elements of that such as body autonomy understanding consent relationship management skills being able to identify abuse being able to set and uphold and respect boundaries between yourself and another human being all of these self-learned aspects of sexual health That or these things that are so interconnected with sexual health, but were omitted from the sex ed conversation, are all things that I didn't learn until adulthood. So I'm growing up becoming a man in society under the impression that this is what, this is everything I need to know about sex. And I use this analogy all the time. Well, this example all the time of the first time that You have sex without a condom. If somebody doesn't get an STI or get pregnant, you're looking at your sex education system like, oh, y'all lying. Y'all don't know what y'all talking about. So once it happened once, it was like, all right, well, uh, I I can just do away with that. So having the mental health pieces completely just omitted from the sex ed conversation, I think that's what set me up for failure. Because in addition to the five things that I just named, there's also the element of being able to seek and ask for support in the event that you need it. Because I didn't know that there were resources out there that I can go to if you test positive. The only word that rang true in my head was STD prevention, prevention, prevention. So once you get something, there is nothing else for you. So it's uh, the the fact that I hit that point and crossed that threshold of prevention. I failed or I became a failure according to what I've learned about STD prevention efforts. And that in itself was something that was very, very challenging to navigate because I didn't have any examples, no role models, any direction in relation to what to do next. Because everything that I go to is like, oh, prevention, prevention, prevention. And it's like, all right, well, what happens when prevention fails you, right? You don't have anything after that. So at that point, oh, did that answer your question because i was about to transition
1: (laughs) no it it definitely did man you know i'm really just just hearing you kind of reflect a little bit more and thinking about how this conversation around just sex education sexual health was um and definitely the mental health piece was when i was a kid very similar to what you're saying or younger excuse me is very similar to what you're saying you don't use a condom one time you don't see that it's you know you don't see the efficacy in that it's like it's out the window so one thing I was going to ask you, and I know we'll get into a lot of different things, but from the patient advocacy perspective, you know, it, give it. Can you kind of walk us through the, your journey in the healthcare system? You kind of painted the the picture, you know, with the nurse, you know, and that was your, your starting point, unfortunately. But what was that? What was that like? so you getting ready. <laughs>
2: My experience, I'm going to try not to speak to anyone else's here. My experience was very cut into the point at that point in time of receiving my diagnosis. I don't think that that was what I needed, but it's also what I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, that was what I needed. I didn't know what was available. I didn't know what I was going to deal with moving forward. All I know was that I was delivered my diagnosis very matter of factly. Um, It was very professionally. And while I'm just sitting there like, with no thoughts in my mind, all I'm hearing is this looks like herpes, here's a pamphlet, and that's it. So I didn't have anything to latch on to and get emotional about or anything. I just had whatever thoughts that I had about herpes prior to that. Fortunately for me at that point in time, one of my friends had dated someone who had herpes or he let me know and he's like, oh yeah, man, like so-and-so got herpes and the way that he responded to it was something that i remembered because he wasn't grossed out he wasn't mean about it or anything like that so that was the most recent experience that i had and uh that was what i had to draw from so looking back now it would have been nice to have learned about how to reduce risk of transmission to partners rather than being given this thing that says, uh, and it was very confusing statistics. One in six people had one type, one in five had another type, one in four had a uh, specific site specific, uh, herpes and one in three, like those, there were all these different statistics on the paper, which I'm sure are completely different at this point in time, but that did nothing for me. I didn't care to know how many people had herpes because I was the only person that I knew at that point in time who had herpes. So the stats, the data, the statistics, none of that meant anything to me. I needed something that I didn't know how to tap into. And this can kind of tie into uh being a man and how we're conditioned in society. I didn't know what I was feeling I didn't know how to express what I was feeling I didn't know that I needed any sort of i didn't know that that was like perhaps depression or perhaps uh extreme anxiety I didn't know how to have conversations with partners about this I didn't know what protective measures to use. I was having an outbreak and I needed relief from having this outbreak, so I was given the medication for it, so it was like all right, problem solved going about my business Once the dust kind of settled, it was just like. Now, what? <laughs> I don't know what to do next. And this would have been a, a perfect point for uh, the, the mental health pieces of sex education that aren't there. I would have known, ask for help. I would have known, hey, something's not right. I know I'm not crazy, but I would like to talk to someone, a counselor, uh, a therapist, somebody who can help me understand this or process this. I was so cut off, maybe numb from whatever emotions or thoughts I was having and being able to identify those to the point where I just, just
0: didn't know that I needed to ask for help. And so it it sounds like there maybe wasn't, but I mean, it's a lot of information to try to, to try to learn. And you can only learn so much from communities and research and, and all that kind of stuff. Did you have, Kind of uh, someone you were able to connect with to to help you in this initial journey?
2: Yes. Um, And it took years before I even thought to reach out. one of my friends, he, he had told me, uh, I tell, I laugh about this joke all the time. He told me, man, I got, I don't know if he told me it was his twins or his uh, son on the way. But I think it might have been his son. He's like, man, I got somebody pregnant. I was like, he said, ain't herpes. And that was my first disclosure. He was like, oh, dang. Well, you know, so-and-so got it. And then we." he had ended up hooking me up with uh, this girl that he knew who also had it. And it was just like, it was easy. Because we didn't have to worry about having that conversation. So, like, my support was more so uh, me getting what I thought I needed, which was, you know, just alleviating that issue of not being able to find a partner or have sex. And so now that that problem solved, all right, I'm good. But the reality is, I was avoiding a lot of other things that I was unaware of. Uh, Like, I was just unconscious of the fact that. There were other things that needed to be addressed that weren't being addressed because I'm substituting the actual thing that needs to be fixed with something else that's more tangible or that's like right there out in front of me that I can touch and see and have like a a connection with on this plane of reality.
1: So I definitely, you know, and it, it, we there's just so much to talk about. I feel like, you know, from your individual story, but I also really want to highlight just the amazing work that you've done uh, with something positive for positive people. Um, so, you know, the first thing, aside from the podcast, um, is I'll kind of ask, what are your kind of, you know, bigger ideas or goals around how you kind of use um, the organization now, and what you want to see for, you know, your line of work in the future. Yeah. So this is a lot to unpack. I will be
2: as concise as I can. Throughout the last four years of me, I consider myself to be an investigative journalist of herpes stigma. And I've been interviewing people like from the source, people who are living with herpes. I hear from people, I've put myself out there so that people can access me. And I have stories that are shared with me, um, that really revolve around issues that you wouldn't think were connected to, uh, STI stigma and most 99.9999% of these all revolve around some sort of, uh, that mental health piece that wasn't included with our sex education. So I've spoken to women who have been sexually assaulted and tested positive for herpes. I've spoken to men who were in abusive, uh, emotionally abusive relationships who then tested positive. Um, as far as um, really being able to see the the impacts of SCI stigma. Like I see people who cope with their diagnosis by immediately jumping out into herpes education advocacy. So on social media, you may see someone having their bio, I have herpes, and I'm proud of it. And they offer themselves to support other people when they haven't gone through the process of being supported themselves or looking for help themselves. And I'm one of these people. Yes, I navigated this four years on my own but I, didn't really, I wasn't really impacted by it on the surface. It was when I started to go on into the process of my own uh, self-healing that I realized, oh, this was a coping mechanism. When I started this podcast, I was avoiding dealing with my own herpes diagnosis by just giving people a space for them to share their own experiences. And here I am now, and I'm able to 100% say that Me creating this resource, this is exactly what it was that I needed when I was diagnosed. I needed a safe space to go to and learn something beyond this is how many people have herpes, this is the type, this is the location. That didn't mean anything to me. What meant something to me was hearing that there was life after this, that nothing, that there are people who don't care about your herpes status, they care more about who you are, that there are so many other things to disclose to people than your herpes status. So in being where I am now, one of the more prevalent things that I want to bring to people's attention is the necessity of integrating post STI diagnosis support resources with STD prevention efforts. So I told you earlier how, you know, everything is prevention, prevention, prevention. What happens when you fall over that wall and you look back and there's nothing that can be done for you now. For me, like I said, it took me four years to find a dating site that I then found a community of people who were living with herpes. It shouldn't have taken that long. Why aren't these types of things accessible sooner? Why did it take for me to follow my own, for me to fumble disclosures, for me to spit out misinformation before I learned, all right, you know what? I'm going to just have to do this myself. And then being able to have this information, you know, not just for me but for anyone who happens to also stumble across it. So one of the main objectives has been to put this information out there in a way that people are able to find it as soon as they can, as soon as they start looking for it, rather than just Googling herpes and then just seeing uh, the Center for Disease Control says that this is how many people have it. This is the herpes virus family and um, cold sores are herpes, right? That was, uh, yeah, I I don't even know if I answered the question. (laughs)
1: No, you know, it's all good. You know, I think, you know, for, uh, and we talked about this before, right, how you are a healthcare leader, you know, for folks like Nigel and I that actually exist in these, or sit in these big healthcare organizations, you know, it's the individuals like yourself that we really look at as you're know, doing, you know, really vital work. And, you know, I was just curious for some of the folks that are listening, you know, how, if you could give them tangible ideas and you kind of spoke to it with, you know, some of the post-follow-up work in terms of diagnosis but how can you know big fancy healthcare systems really begin to integrate folks like you um individuals like you champion your work and really have it become a part of their care delivery
2: as a podcaster reaching out to health related organizations i was dismissed blown off um When I would be like, hey, you know, can you share this resources with people who may be diagnosed with herpes? And I I, I just would be blown off. Like, it's as simple as that. Some people uh, took a chance. They heard me out. They listened to me. And I am most grateful for those people, those people being uh, Planned Parenthood here in St. Louis, uh, Vivant Health, formerly known as St. Louis Effort for AIDS, Total Access Urgent Care. Um, These were three places that heard me, they listened to me, and they allowed me to interview them and they put the resources out there. Oh, I'm sorry, and the St. Louis County Department of Public Health, that's another one. In sex positive St. Louis. So these organizations here locally were the ones that heard me as a podcaster. Now being a nonprofit, I think that it increases my credibility. Having been a nonprofit for going on two years now, uh, having as many podcast episodes as I have now, these are things that have increased my credibility. I really, really could just use some type of funding to be able to get more credibility because of the time that has to go into uh, not just the interviews and the podcast stuff, but also being able to collect quality data that can support the uh, more the larger organizations that consistently see people who are newly diagnosed, not just with herpes, because this information can be applied to STIs in general. I think that another thing that can happen is for Conversations to be had about how we can get this data and not only integrate it into STD prevention efforts, but also speak to sexual health the same way we speak to mental health. Boundaries are boundaries, and when you are able to learn the foundation of boundaries, uh, showing people how you can respect them and people showing you how they how you can respect them as well. um, I think I might have said the same thing twice, but but you know what I mean. Reciprocated respect for one another that holds true in itself when you apply it to the workspace when you apply it to your family when you apply it to relationships when you apply it to sex it's all the same we shouldn't be so laser focused when talking to kids about sex on Okay, we need to, you know, uh, uh, walk on eggshells around this topic. We need to be understanding of the fact that their sexual health is very interconnected with their mental health. I look back on how many people who uh, were diagnosed with herpes and everything just changed for them. Their mental health just completely went out of whack, and they recognized it in hindsight. But in the moment, being able to present a resource like something positive for positive people, which is uh, providing or connecting people to mental health services, as well as community and educational pieces and empowering resources that show you that there is life after prevention efforts have let you down. Like that is something that's going to be useful and to be able to present these resources and these, these pages, these, um, Accounts on social media alongside the data, the statistics that are out there, and making that more recent because I shouldn't Google herpes and see a a research study from 2011. It's 2021. Things are different. Information travels differently. And the information that's out there is just super inconsistent. And so, me as someone who's disclosing to a potential sexual partner, I can present them with data from one resource that says, oh, you know, this percent of people have herpes. They can go home and Google that same information and then perhaps find a different resource that says something completely different that makes me look like I'm just trying to feel better about myself. And now what does that do for my credibility and my disclosure if uh, the information that I'm presenting isn't even uh, trustworthy and I'm asking this person to trust me with their sexual health? So we got to get uh, consistent information. Um, we have to get more up to date, more accurate information. And then we also have to be able to understand that sexual health and mental health are, I will argue the same thing. Um, but at the very least say that they are very interconnected with one another and we have to stop looking at sexual health like you. And we look at mental health like, oh, yeah, that's that's a big deal right now. And it's more highlighted now than ever. Um, There's you can Google it now. You'll see that STI testing is down significantly um, throughout the pandemic. I probably spoken to over 2020 to now more people who were just diagnosed in 2020 with HSV, uh, the herpes simplex virus than I did all of 2019 or all of 2018. So this is something to take into consideration, especially because now mental health is such a prioritized focal point. I think that it's bringing into light how other areas of our life are contributing to uh, the, the way that our mental health or other things
0: are contributing to uh, our mental health status changes lot to unpack there and i mean i think we couldn't agree with you more the data and just having an understanding of these things is how we're able to make changes and move things forward and better partner with organizations you know like yours or we you know with winston at bjc or me at washington university um, but something else i think you spoke to there is like there there was a pretty large spike in mental health or at least uh at least acknowledgement of those things as we went into 2020 just the world's been a tough place, but this last year we know is especially crazy. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I think people would be interested in hearing how was that for you and something positive for positive people. I mean, that was your second year switching from a podcast to running a nonprofit. Talk to us about that journey.
2: Early on, I had a partnership lined up that was supposed to have, like, my entire year of 2020 was going to be laid out from this project, and it just did not happen thanks COVID. Um, But I ended up getting a therapist. Uh, BetterHelp was a sponsor that had reached out, and I ended up having a therapist for all of 2020 and now we work together he's no longer with the company but uh he's still my therapist and i just so happen to have had that connection um everyone's at home so i was more a more easily able to pin down people to interview um honestly 2020 wasn't bad for me um being impacted by the pandemic i was still able to get um unemployment benefits uh for just having been impacted. And so uh while donations were down, like I was able to at the very least continue the efforts of the nonprofit without being able to be at work or having to be at work for so many hours a day. So I was more so able to be in front of the computer, sending out emails, connecting with people, um, getting the website up to speed and really planning out what the services of something positive for positive people was gonna look like. I um modified my board of directors, um a lot of just cleanup internally with the nonprofit, and I was able to maintain a consistency with the podcast and really get ahead on my interviews even. Um but I will say more than anything, having had a therapist for myself really did it for me like that was that was the key um i didn't know that there were things that i was dealing with or repressing or avoiding even and one of those things having been processing my own diagnosis and dealing with that because that was one of the first things he said to me and i cussed him out i was like i bit my tongue from cussing him out when he said that because i had this you don't know who i am do you kind of mindset of i've had all these conversations with people about their herpes status i've spoken on podcasts about my herpes status but i never spoke to courtney about courtney's herpes status and that ended up being a really really big deal in the long run because it also came back full circle i remember on christmas eve we had the last session of 2020. And uh, I said something to him and I won't go into details here, but he goes, remember the first day we had a conversation and I told you, I, I just started laughing. I just laughed because the way that I dealt with my herpes diagnosis is the same way I dealt with a lot of other things in life in this avoided way. So being able to confront that and have that framework for how to deal with the patterns in my life that continued to come up that were reflective of my herpes status, allowed for me to deal with things more in the moment at a more conscious level, rather than just acting
0: out of habit. Wow, I think you you very humbly glossed over a lot of great leadership lessons right there that I wanna make sure we don't skip past you as a new business owner took time to self reflect you pivoted your organization essentially after a partnership fell through changed out your board of directors ensured continuity on the podcast and i think those are all great lessons for for any leader in healthcare that just no matter how tough it is there's always positive things that you can be doing for yourself and for your organization
2: yeah i'd say consistency um more than anything anything that got started being consistent was, um, was, was most important to me. So discipline, discipline's a better word, but I use, I hang on to consistency, um, continuing to just get that podcast episode out every week, no matter what it took, whatever that looked like, um, being able to have my board meetings every three months, whatever that looked like, uh, being able to Have my therapy appointments, whatever that looked like, because there's just so much uncertainty and inconsistency with the pandemic and what going back to work was going to look like, uh, where I was going to live and just how bills were going to get paid. All of that stuff was so uncertain. So for me to have had this handful of things to really focus on rather than the distractions of 2019, which included making sure that I made it to so-and-so's event, so-and-so's event, uh, going out to this wedding or that party, that bar, that restaurant, all of those secondary priorities, just were gone. So I could only prioritize a few things. And those things I would say really anchored me. Oh, I also got my yoga teacher certification uh, during 2020. Not to brag, but that was just one more thing that I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave out because that was a really big deal to me. Um, considering how much yoga itself had contributed to, uh, me being able to manage my herpes symptoms or even deal with my mental health and understand that there's like a a center uh yeah more of like a, a center to be in and recognize okay something's not right i'm wavering too far over to the left or i'm wavering too far over to the right like let me center myself that was one of the things that yoga allowed for me to do in addition to really reconnecting with my body because after an SCI diagnosis like i mentioned i didn't think i was going to be able to have sex again or even want to touch myself there's this instant disconnect from the body after an sti diagnosis which is a sexual trauma by the way and yoga was one of the ways to support me and reconnecting to it
1: we yeah we probably need a three four hour episode because you dro- you're dropping some some just a lot of different gems and i'm picking up pieces and i'm like oh man i want to ask so much but you know ultimately you know as nigel said you know you're you're a leader who's just gone through so much and when i think about you being an entrepreneur former college athlete uh investigative journalist right you know it's a huge change agent Um, you know, what is your what is your advice for folks who have lived experience with something, some kind of traumatic event? They find themselves in this position, either in the industry trying to do something or wanting to do something. Because I think that, you know, for a lot of you know uh, aspiring emerging professionals, you know, in the industry, but definitely in healthcare, you know, we typically have some kind of you know baggage, some kind of car that we're bringing in to that role. So for someone who really has, you know, uh, had such a wide array of, of experiences, what would be your advice to folks who are looking to kind of uh, funnel the same energy that you have and translate that into their work? Understand your intention.
2: Uh, I think that, yeah, I something positive for positive people at the end of the day is a suicide prevention resource, flat out. Um, knowing my relationship, oh, I guess this is a, great point to tie this in um i've had family members threaten suicide i've had extended family and by that i mean like step family uh actually go through with suicide um people high school teammate uh committed suicide died by suicide died by suicide not committed suicide Uh, my apologies there and um to have had an ex-girlfriend or yeah an ex-girlfriend i was seeing her uh in college to have had like this weird phone call from her voicemail and i was just like something wasn't right about that and i ended up calling the suicide hotline and described as best i could the location of her house gave her name gave her family name everything i could give to the suicide lifeline um And a few hours later, her brother called me and just said, thank you. They found her in the tub and she had tried to take a bunch of pills. And so I haven't talked to her. Um, I see that she's alive and well. Um, But part of me always wondered, what if it was herpes, right? What if that was the thing that led to some of those people who have died by suicide Ending their lives. What if that was something that for her uh, was what if that was something that was bothering her to the point of wanting to end her own life? So I understand that my intention is and always will be suicide prevention. So at the end of this all, when you take all of the herpes education advocacy aside, the uh, advocacy for uh, mental health, sexual health and all that other stuff. The priority has and always will be suicide prevention. And that's been what the intention was um, throughout all of the other stuff that's happened. Yay, that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't want a person to feel as if they have to take their life. Their lives just because they tested positive for an STI. So I think anyone who's stepping into any type of a a role, leadership role, or wanting to make some kind of change, advocate for anything, it's important to understand what your intention is um, and honor that. And if it changes, it changes. That's fine. Um, Make the shift, but just be aware of it. Don't allow for yourself to not know why you're doing what you're doing because i think that that's what makes us susceptible to burnout when we're not seeing things happen that should be happening and the bigger picture of it all is i'd said in the beginning if i just saved one person from ending their lives because they found this resource then i did my job fortunately that's happened uh more times than i can count because now i can say i've done my job a few times over but um i can't help but think you know what if uh, if i if I stop, you know what if there's another person that didn't get what it was that they needed or if there's a story that hasn't been shared that could have helped someone else so these are all uh, these are all things that obviously can happen out of our control, but sticking with whatever intention it is that you set, knowing your motivation behind it, that's what and then being consistent with it, um, that's what I would give an offer to people who are stepping into some sort of a similar space
0: wow i i think that that's just such a a powerful lesson that i know i struggle with and i think all young leaders especially leaders of color struggle with right like you want to be successful you want to do all these things and sometimes it's just go 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 but also taking a step back and knowing why you're doing what you're doing and what the impact is of our actions and activities and even just something as simple as just saying something to someone just once or twice right like that can have a huge downstream impact so great words of wisdom right there um winston did you have any other questions oh i
1: think you know this is it's like i said it wasn't it wasn't long enough there's so much we could go into um, and I'll, and I'll hey, listen! I can come back. Hey, oh, we we're down the street from each other. <laughs> I say, I have to do a part two. Um, no, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, aside from just shouting out, you know, Courtney for coming on to the podcast and sharing everything that he's done, and that Goku print in the in the background, we're not gonna let that, you know, just slide. got shout out, shout that out there. Um, just give him you know the other space to drop any links, you know, where they can find you know something positive for positive people. You want social media, all of that. I Think we'll be good
2: yeah so i'm on social media at h on my chest it looks like hon my chest all one word h-o-n-m-y c-h-e-s-c that's instagram twitter tumblr reddit i'm most active on instagram there's a something positive for positive people uh facebook page uh On there, you just see the Instagram stuff. So if you're not on Instagram, you'll see the posts from Instagram on Facebook. The website is www.spfpp.org, expanding the network of therapists that we work with or partner with to connect people who are struggling with STI stigma to um, if they're struggling. Like, if they're struggling, I want to be able to just remove the barriers in place to connect them with a therapist who can speak to uh, the experiences of people who might be struggling with their herpes diagnosis. Um, So, yeah, if you're someone who's struggling, reach out. If you're someone who wants to partner, if you want to know what you can do, we're always accepting donations. I'm always welcome. uh, I welcome being interviewed on people's podcasts always looking for guests if anyone wants to share their story there's also a blog if you're not in the podcast you can read the submissions from people at www.spfpp.org slash blog and spfpp is just the uh, abbreviation for something positive for positive people and remember it's dot org not dot com dot com was way too expensive so we here with org uh but yeah and you can download the podcast on any podcast platform itunes google play iHeartMedia, media spotify List goes on wherever you listen to a podcast
0: you can listen to it that's awesome. We'll definitely make sure to have all that posted in the show links for people to have easy access to. Please make sure to check Courtney out and take a look at the amazing work that, that you're doing. You're you're an inspiration, man. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. But you know, before you get out of here, we got some rapid fire questions for you to answer. Uh, make it a little fun. Today was a heavy conversation, but you ready for that? I'm yeah. ready. All right. Number one, you could be any animal in the world. What are you going to be? I didn't expect that one. <laughs> I would be a dragon. <laughs> okay. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, cookie dough. Oh, good choice. Would you rather be swole or jacked? Swole. Dream car? Ooh, one that flies whenever we get those. <laughs> I'm sure Elon Musk is working on it. Last one, coffee or tea? Tea. All righty. Well, that's that's all I had. Winston, if you didn't have anything else, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, Courtney. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, that's it for this month's episode of the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Learn more about the National Association of Healthcare Executives at nahse.org and join us next month for another exciting episode.